Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. The reality is, is that the context we're living in is um, really unprecedented. I mean, uh, what we're going as, um, you know, not just in the U.S., but in the world at the same time through something that, you know, we have never seen in our lifetime and that, quite frankly, we don't have um, a, a neatly packaged solution for. It's understandable that that would be distracting to all of us and our families. I think that um, what we have committed to do and in talking to many of my peers, what I know that companies are doing is holding themselves accountable in whatever way that um, is um, authentic to your company. Anilu is a partner and the CHRO at TPG based in San Francisco. Prior to joining TPG in August of 2018, Anilu was with Goldman Sachs for more than 11 years, where her most recent role was the firm's global head of talent and chief diversity officer. Prior to Goldman Sachs, Anilu was an associate at Sherman and Sterling LLP. Anilu received an AB in History and Latin American Studies from Princeton University and a JD from Fordham University School of Law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking Nature podcast. I am very happy to be with Anilu today. How are you, Anilu? I'm doing good, Enrique. How are you? Good. I'm doing, doing very well and having all these amazing conversations in, in the podcast. I am very excited to talk to you uh, or with you about all things diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, this, this fight for social justice, uh, race justice in everywhere, but especially in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I want to begin the conversation by maybe asking you a, a sort of a difficult question. We, we live in, in, in a time where we get distracted every day by something different, right? Today it is coronavirus, tomorrow it is something else, then it is coronavirus again, there is something else. And I am afraid that some of the important conversations that we should continue to put forward, they may be forgotten because there's a new thing, a new headline coming into the news or a new situation that we need to pay attention to. And of course, we see here in the United States, the Black Lives Matter movement, which has sort of echoed, uh, has been echoed everywhere in the world. But the reality is that now we are coming into another wave of coronavirus and things are getting complicated. We have elections this year. So my question to you is, how can we ensure that the important things that we're talking about when it comes to diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, anti-racism in the workplace, how can we keep those conversations going 
into the future, even when there are so many things that are distracting us from that conversation. Yeah, it's, um, you've heard me say this and your audience um, probably has heard me say it is the number one concern that I had when this um, race and racial injustice situation re-emerged, um, particularly because having lived through it, you know, four years ago, um, it was something that I think a lot of us that really cared about the issue didn't identify right away as a potential, um, you know, peril uh, to the whole cause. Um, this time around, I know a number of us were immediately focused on that uh, because we knew it was a danger. And the reality is, is that the context we're living in is um, really unprecedented. I mean, uh, what we're going at as um, you know, not just in the U.S., but in the world at the same time through something that, you know, we have never seen in our lifetime and that, quite frankly, we don't have um, a, a neatly packaged solution for. It's understandable that that would be distracting to all of us and our families. Like you said, it's an election year. There's so many things that you can devote your time to um, even if it's something that is valuable, right? So I think that um, what we have committed to do and in talking to many of my peers, what I know that companies are doing is holding themselves accountable in whatever way that um, is um, authentic to your company. So I was telling you, for example, for us, we did the roundtables uh, with our employees and we, at the time that did the roundtables, we told the firm we were gonna come back um, and do a readout. It's almost like, you know, when people want to lose weight and you tell someone else uh, to <laughs> hold you accountable. Um, and similarly, um, when we decided that we were going to do the readout of the roundtables, we said that at that time we would have had our review of the strategy that we had already set out two years ago and, and take a, a mirror to, to our face and say, these are the things that we should continue to do. These are the things that we need to double down. And these are new things. And a lot of those ideas, quite frankly, also came from our employees in the discussion. So we announced last week um, our you know, uh, themes from the roundtables. We announced how we're using those themes to change our strategy. Um, and we gave dates. Uh, by which we're going to do the next steps. So I think tactically, that's really important. The other thing, um, Enrique, is that all of these um, changes that we're talking about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, at the end of the day, are leadership and culture matters. Um, we just use those words because it's a shorthand, you know, for people to understand that we mean a specific part of leadership and culture. But if you are not noticing cultural change within your organizations, you probably need to try a different um, type of dialogue because otherwise it's not going to last. It's just going to be a phase. That is fantastic. And I, I love that you're saying that, yes, diversity and inclusion and equity is it's, it's an important topic of conversation in the workplace. But more importantly, they are leadership and culture issues. So let's dig a little deeper into, into what it means to have a culture that is truly inclusive, anti-racist, because we have spoken about this in, in several panels before, and that is that really is, is focused on, on diversity and equity. So what, what does that culture look like? And yeah. I, I'm asking you this question also from the perspective of the individual who is 
in an organization that may not have done much about it. They are doing some work. And like you're saying, if they are not seeing changes, maybe they need to try a different strategy. So what are those changes at the same time that they also need to see to say, all right, now we are in the right path. We're not there yet, but we are in the right path. Yeah, and I think that's perfectly fine. This is not a game of who is perfect faster. This is a game of, you know, everyone identifying where they are and making a decision that they can move further in their understanding. I think that there are a couple of characteristics, both of the leaders that um, end up playing a big role in making change, as well as the organizations that end up making changes for themselves and for others that they can influence. One is you have to be a learning culture. So there, what's happened in the last, you know, almost two months is that there's been a re-emergence of resources and of history, quite frankly, um, and also academic research that people have very available to them. And now it's the opportunity for them to educate themselves. But organizations need to decide that that's an important step in the journey. And then individuals in those organizations need to decide that they want that not only because of them being employees of TPG or wherever, but because for their own education, they feel that it will make them not better human beings only, but better managers, better business people, that they will actually understand their context better by investing in that. So I think that that also relates to the, this anti-racist um, you know, theme and the concept that people are saying, which is a profound understanding that just being passive in a you know, kind of a traveler in the journey is not gonna move the needle particularly if you are someone in a decision-making position, whatever that means uh, for whatever industry you're in. Um, and one of the big things that happened in our discussions, and again, I think that this has come up for other companies, is if you're part of a recruiting process, for example, and you're either the hiring manager or someone who has been asked to interview people and you don't see a diverse slate to begin with, that should not be HR's responsibility to say, to call it out. I mean, I, I, I hope that we do. Um, it shouldn't be the diverse person who happens to be part of that group. Every person has the ability to call out that it is unlikely that you're gonna have a good result at the end of the search if you don't start with all the great elements, which include the diverse lane. Same thing for promotions, same thing when people are gonna get reviewed for pay. Um, there are so many moments where people may notice that something is off, but they don't say it. And they don't, they, they don't wanna be the one to say, why did this happen? And so I think that there are many moments where people in the majority, because as I've told you, this is, this is a profound issue for the black population. Uh, but there are many unrepresented groups in all of our organizations. And, uh, you know, we just celebrated the 30th anniversary of the Americas with Disabilities Act. That's also a conversation that we don't have openly in the workplace. So I am hopeful that we take the framework of what's happened and really apply it to, do we make sure that anyone who wants to be a part of this organization, 
has a way to do so and thrive. That is powerful. And one thing that I am reading from what you're saying is they need not only to think and, and, and focus on diversity, inclusion, equity, but like you said before, more importantly, have a culture where people can speak up when they don't see diversity, inclusion, and equity happening in, in the workplace. And I think that is so powerful because you can just, one thing that I observe with, with uh, you know, some, some level of um, concern is that sometimes HR focuses on on some metrics for diversity inclusion. Well, you know, we have a board where there are, you know, 50% of, of them are women and, you know, women are in leadership positions, but there are many other spaces in the organization where you live and breathe this idea of diversity, inclusion, equity, anti-racism. And some people may not see that that's actually happening, but they don't speak up either uh, because there's no culture to, to do that. So, so Anilu, how do, we, how do we build a culture where people feel that there's freedom for them to say, you're only bringing me candidates to this interview process and they all look exactly the same or they are all exactly the same or they all only come from Ivy League schools or whatever it is. How can we create that kind of culture where there is the possibility for people to speak up when they see things that are not right? Well, this is, um, you know, people read um, the, this aspect of an organization's culture very quickly and they adapt to it. So if you are an organization that do not, does not promote truth tellers, even if you're hiring truth tellers, some of them, one of two things will happen. They were early in that journey and they're gonna decide that, you know, maybe not so cool for me to be the one to always say what's wrong or to point out, you know, the things that should be done differently, or they'll leave because being a truth teller is too important to them, is core to their values, and um, they'll realize that they've made a mistake and that this is not a culture where they can be themselves every day. Um, I think there are a ton of benefits from having people that care enough about the organization to tell its leaders uh, when it's going in the wrong direction. And the easiest way to do that is by role modeling. So to, to have leaders that are willing to call it out, even if it's you know, at a leadership um, level, or to say, you know, we thought that we were doing the right thing on reflection, um, you know, we probably should have taken a different path. But also when there are people who are stepping up to speak up, that those people are seen as role models too and as people that are encouraged and that, you know, they're not gonna be killed in the battle, you know. Uh, and there are ways to do this um, where um, you are not criticizing um, the effort. You are pointing out things that are missing or um, that you have experienced before, why you think that there's a different and better way to do it. Um, but if there is a situation where people have examples of how speaking up means that you get disinvited to meetings, you know, there are little things that happen in the workplace that, again, it, it doesn't take that long for people to figure out how the organization wants you to behave. Yeah, you know, I, I am smiling here because I'm thinking about some organizations where I have worked in the past where we go to a town hall meeting or to an HR department meeting 
and we say, well, yeah, we got to be innovative and we have to be more diverse and inclusive and whatnot. And there's all this energy, but then you go back the following day to the same thing and nothing changes. It's something along the lines of what you're saying here. You hire great people who may be outliers to the culture that you have. And instead of providing the opportunity for the culture to shift and be reshaped, when you bring people like that, they end up becoming part of that culture because they think to themselves, why am I going to risk my job or my pay? Or why am I going to get any enemies in here if, if, by speaking up if nobody else is speaking up and they don't value that kind of, of behavior in this organization? That, that's totally ringing a bell in my, in my yeah. memory. And listen, when you um, are inclined to speak up, you also have to invest time on how you're gonna do that and what type of relationships you're gonna develop because it's a lot easier for people to hear what you have to say, which might seem contrarian, if they believe that you're doing that because you have the best interests of the company um, in mind. And so there is this interplay between building relationships, getting to really understand the organization. Why is it that you know, X is happening, is it historical? Is it due to a particular group? So I also think that, you know, again, if you're inclined to be someone to speak up, you have to be strategic about how you're gonna go about that. Yeah, I, 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 I think that is, that is powerful. And I, I want to go back to the idea of leaders role modeling the kind of organization they, they want to see. When, when you think, if you ever dream about, wow, this is the kind of leader that I would love to see in all organizations. What does that person look like? What does that leader, how does that leader behave? How, how does she or he, you know, do things in the organization? Yeah, and you know what, Enrique, fortunately for me, I, I have experienced um, great leaders um, that I have learned a lot from and that I've been privileged to work with and, and currently um, actually have um, many examples of that. I think that the common characteristics are a keen ability to listen, uh, to listen for what is being said as well as for what people are not saying. And, you know, that's, I've, I've talked a lot about this because I feel like I'm still um, ambivalent about Zoom and whether the ability translates as well for some things, actually, believe it or not, because you have to be, you know, you're staring at your screen, you might have a better chance of reading the room, uh, the Zoom room. Uh, but certainly, you know, these are people that in meetings, they notice who hasn't said a word and they call out their name. These are people that when they see that, clearly they're, uh, two f uh, factions developing, they try to mediate and bring to some sort of compromise. Um, for in my book, they're honest. What you see is what you get. You know, they're going to be transparent, whether it's good news or bad news. Um, and therefore, people trust them because they know um, that if they're not getting um, some information, it's because it's not available, not because it's being hidden. Um, thirdly, you know, uh, these people are decisive. Um, being in leadership means that your job is to aggregate a lot of information, whatever it's available. Sometimes you won't have full information, uh, but make you know a, a judgment based on what others are telling you and your own experience. And that is 
Um, I think a skill that develops over time is you're able to identify fact patterns and say, okay, this looks like, you know, this experience that I had, you know, three years ago, maybe I can apply the same logic. Um, and then I would say, lastly, um, they are empathetic um, and, and they enjoy um, being part of an organization. They're not there just to be the one, but their purpose is to lead and to make change uh, for the whole of the organization. This is fantastic. The ability to listen, honesty, transparency, they have to be decisive and empathetic, which at the end of the day is a combination of humanity, but also a business uh, you know, orientation, if you will, a business um, uh, inclination to make things happen in the, in the organization. I, I, of course, want to dig a little deeper into, into all the process of diversity and inclusion because I know you are very passionate about, about this and you have been working on it in, in, um, at TPG. So I, I want to perhaps go into the recommendations that you have for people who are entering into this journey now, whether because this is their first work experience or maybe because their organizations, maybe they are not racist or maybe they have not seemingly been uh, they haven't been seemingly you know unfair to you know minorities but they don't have a culture that is <coughs> truly inclusive diverse and anti-racist like we have been talking about very very recently with all the black lives matter movement so what's your recommendation for for those kind of organizations and those kind of leaders who are ready to set, to to start working in this direction yeah, I think that if you're starting for, from scratch, either because the effort at your firm has been relatively new um, or has been basic, right? It's been there for a long time, but it hasn't kind of pushed the envelope. You actually should think about it as an opportunity because probably means that you'll be able to save a lot of the mistakes that some of us have made along the way and all the experiments that we've had to go through to test out what really works, what works better than other things. So I would say, take that as an opportunity to go and canvas for best practices and for the experience of others um, so that you have a good sense of where you're gonna spend your energy. The second thing that I would say is, when it comes to this work, you cannot boil the ocean. You need to prioritize and you need to sequence. It's like the, the biggest thing that I feel people miss um, on human capital work in general, but definitely on diversity. And so this takes me to the data is really important, not as the ultimate goal. So obviously we all wanna increase representation and it's important that you monitor that. Um, but the more important aspect of data is that it does a couple of things. It gives you a map of your organization and where even you know if you're not doing great overall there might be some pockets of populations that are doing better than others and you should understand why that is is it just a coincidence is it a location specific issue is it that you have a manager or a leader that is particularly good generally and so that attracts different people to them so i would say you you should spend time understanding your trends uh, because that will help you prioritize and organize your conversation with the rest of the leadership and the firm in terms of we're going to start here we're going to tackle that next 
Um, the other thing that I would say to people is I encourage you not to pick a certain aspect of diversity to focus on. You know, a lot of companies picked gender because if the easiest is the one that most people are familiar with, it, when you do that, you're missing the intersectionality of people. We are not just one box. And so even if you're not able to make the same level of commitment to initiatives for every group, because research constraints are real uh, for all of our organizations, make sure that your dialogue with your firm is inclusive of all kinds of diversity and that people understand that when you're talking about diversity, you're talking about everyone. You might have specific and different approaches to each group, uh, but don't don't waste this opportunity to really um, make people aware that um, there's there's difference in all of us, um, and they should they should be looking out for that as a good thing. And then lastly, I would say you know um, be very tough on yourself. Treat this as you would any other business uh, matter. Uh, have business plans. Have meetings to review it. Um, make sure that you're in the cutting edge um, and talking to other people. Do anything that you would do if it was a top line business matter. Yeah, you have to take it seriously if you're serious about it. Huh? And uh, this this is fantastic. Of course, I I, I guess that. Well, not not I guess. I I know for a fact that even when we talk about these things, we still find people out there who. You talk to them about building an anti-racist organization and they are like, well, I'm not racist. So why should we be doing anything if we're not racist? Or we are inclusive. You know, we have a couple of women in the, in the leadership mm -hmm. of this organization. Why do we need to be doing anything about it? Mm -hmm. So, and I'm just using this as an example to say that while it sounds like the right thing to do, you will still find opposition to some of these initiatives, some of these practices. Yeah. So what are the most, maybe the strongest challenges that you have found in your career when you try to do something in the, in the realm of diversity, inclusion, equity, anti-racism in the workplace? Yeah. Well, I think that at the top of my list of things that are annoying uh, <laughs> to me in, in this field and that I, um, do, I have decided that I will not let it go is when I see people going down the path of diversity equals lowering the bar. Mm. And people get at that in different ways. You know, some people are better than others. They're like, they don't, they don't say, you know, well, diverse people are less capable. So that's why we don't have as many because we, you know, our meritocracy here. Um, people have gotten creative about how they might get to that. But I think it's extremely important to call people out when they're implying that and literally say, you, you wouldn't mean that, you know, having more diversity in recruiting or promoting is that we're lowering the standards here because that would mean that you believe that diverse people inherently are less capable. And of course, you know, Ryan Enrique, you don't believe that. Um, so I think, by the way, a good doses of humor always helps, uh, or at least it helps me, maybe it's because I'm Puerto Rican and that's like how we cope. Um, but this goes back to this relationship point that I was making. Um, 
you have to be a trusted um, advisor to your company um, in, if you're going to be involved in this topic. And the deeper your relationships, the more you can call people out. And sometimes you should do that in private and say, hey, I don't know if you noticed that in that meeting you said X, Y, and Z. I'm just letting you know because I know what you mean, but it was heard very differently. Other times you have to make a call you know, in the meeting uh, because you really need to make sure that there's no confusion that that is not what we're gonna do and it's not the, the value that we wanna promote. Um, there will be people, Enrique, that will never get fully on board yeah. with this effort. And my view on that is I am not gonna try to get into people's hearts or minds, uh, but I think it's important to me that it's clear what the expectations are for them as leaders and as employees at the firm. And so there are just minimal standards um, that everyone should have in mind. And then there are also expectations, again, for them to the same way that they have to manage their headcount, they have to manage their PL, they need to manage the diversity of their teams. And um, that's how I choose to look at it. I also would say sometimes you have a conversation with someone and they say the wrong thing or they say something that seems very abrasive with respect to this topic. And there's a tendency that all of us have to say, I'm never talking to that person again, forget mm -hmm. it, let me move on to the supporters. And I would say um, it is really important to go back to that person and say, I know you don't believe in this or you're not convinced. Would you mind spending time with me on it? And, and let me get you involved little by little. And I have found that sometimes actually the people who started kind of as the biggest critics or not as involved, once I personally asked them to spend time on it, some of them became the biggest supporters. And because people knew that they didn't start there, they had incredible credibility in the effort. Wow. You know, one thing that I'm reading as an underlying principle, you know, that you're saying is that is it's important not only to communicate what diversity, inclusion, and equity is, but also what it is not. And I love that because I'm not sure, I don't know if this has been your experience, but maybe some of those opponents to some of these practices are thinking, what you're trying to tell me, Anilu, is that I need to lower my standards yep. to get into there. But when you tell them that's not what we are trying to do here, uh, because diverse candidates and diverse uh, talent, they are not less capable of anybody else or everybody else, maybe they be, you are sort of addressing their opposition and helping them become allies because now you're communicating what diversity yeah. and equity is, but also what it is not. That is so powerful. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a very important thing, Enrique, right? To even ask that question. What is it, like, what is concerning to you? What is it that you think would be um, lost? by us prioritizing diversity in whatever you know the process may be or the decision and let people talk because maybe they have a good point maybe yeah. actually they have something that can be addressed uh, and then you can you can have them come on on board have you ever found yourself in a position where you're like i'm furious at this person I, this person is telling me this thing and i'm like i'm not going to talk to that person have you ever found your because sometimes i feel that people have valid opinions about something and you can have a decent 
conversation with that person and maybe you continue to disagree, but it's still the conversation is yeah. decent and honest and there's integrity in there. But sometimes you find that there are, you know, some opinions that, I don't know, I, I just find it very difficult to, to find a common ground to just have a conversation. Yeah. I have my moments, you know, I feel like a cartoon sometimes where, you know, you have the bubbles coming out of your, um, out of your head with the different thoughts of what you would like to say to the person. And I think, I think it's part, it's something that I've spoken a lot about is it's particularly hard when you yourself, um, when I am diverse, I'm a woman of color. And so I think that um, from the beginning of me being in this journey, I actually decided that I needed to manage that emotion very closely in a very ongoing and self-aware um, manner so that I did not let um, my personal view come in front of my professional view. And by the way, my professional view in many ways should be informed by my personal view because I'm like the, I'm a sample of one, you know, yeah. in terms of how a Hispanic woman um, in the workplace uh, may experience um, organizations. So, but it cannot be the only compass that I use uh, because all Hispanics are not created equal. You know, I can't possibly understand how every woman of color, um, you know, feels about a certain situation or not. Um, so I, I think that that's very important for those of us that are, um, you know, in diversity, but broadly speaking as a CHRO, right, I constantly have to be very clinical about decisions and not think about like me, the employee, what would I want the company to do, but what do I think employees overall need and what leadership should do. Um, but there are definitely things that should be, you shouldn't compromise on. Yeah. And if there is something being said or being done that is against the grain of respect, humanity, and equality, um, I choose to stand up and say that that's my limit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, we find so many people, and that includes myself, of course, thinking, you know, we may disagree on on politics, more or less taxes, you know, more federal government or less federal government. But if you're racist, that's not a disagreement. That is yeah. an intrinsically uh, difference in, in humanity, in decency, in ethics, in values, in integrity. And that's not a disagreement anymore. That's, that's, that, that became something else. If, if somebody is expressing a view that is racist uh, against other people. So, so Anilu, as we wrap up this conversation, I want to ask you the same question that I ask everybody at the end of my conversations, and that is, what are you the most excited about the future, but also what are you the most concerned about the future? I am the most excited about the future, um, about the fact that I think that um, diversity, equity, and inclusion as topics um, have made it to the mainstream, finally. Um, the broadness of the people in organizations talking about this and talking about it to their clients as a business matter, as something that how can we collaborate as, you know, client and service provider, for example. Um, and I think that the, I'm excited about that for many reasons, but one of the reasons is that I think that the things that 
make for good inclusive environments, just make for good general management and culture. So I think that we're going to have better managers, and I think that we're going to have um, better organizations that are going to found many benefits, including them being more commercial overall uh, by being more inclusive. What I'm most concerned about is probably the mental health of um, employees. Um, there has been a lot going on in 2020 uh, between the pandemic, uh, the resulting pressures on the economy and, um, you know, the stress that many people are feeling, particularly in communities of color, but overall disadvantaged uh, communities. Um, and, you know, obviously the racial unrest hasn't helped. Uh, you know, we are 98 days away from an election that promises to be very polarizing. Um, and we are not good at our workplaces about talking about mental health openly and resiliency and all of that. So I encourage everyone to make that a priority. We're actually having a um, um, session on that um, at TPG um, tomorrow. And I think it's really important because everyone has been under a lot of stress and we all manage it differently. So don't forget, you know, the top part of the body um, as we take <laughs> employees. Um, and, and, and if you can make it so that it's culturally acceptable in your organizations to talk about that. That is, that is, uh, that is powerful. And yes, this has been definitely a very, very difficult year, but I am glad that leaders like yourself are opening the doors for people to say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, I'm, I'm anxious about all these things. So, so Anilu, thank you so much for being with me today in the podcast. Thank you, Enrique. Thank you, and thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next Hacking HR podcast. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.